1: 36% better on average compared to
0: other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com work.
1: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9
2: on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning the 31st of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's begin today with a most unusual question. Certainly not a question that has ever been asked on this programme before.
1: What's your opinion on
2: homework? Homework. The President Michael D. Higgins was asked what he thought about homework when Mr. Higgins was interviewed by four school children from St. Kevin's National School in Tipperary. The interview was carried on RTE's News Today programme to celebrate its 20th year reporting on the news to children watching RTE. Young Jack Delaney's question resulted in this response from the President. I think for myself that really the, the,
3: the, the, the Time at home and the time in the school is an, is an educational experience, and it should get finished in the school. And people should be able to use their uh, their time for other creative to, for other creative things. You know, I don't think uh, one, I, one of the things that's changed a bit in my time. You'd be heading off with big bags of books and everything. You were, you were like a, a, a carrier of, 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 of things. But now it's changed a bit. No, I think that should as much as possible should happen in, uh, in the school. And
2: Labour's spokesperson on education joins us uh, to discuss this now. Aon Honour good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us. What do you think of homework?
4: Well, uh, I agree with the President. In fact, it was Jen Hogan, I think, in the Irish Times who put up a, a article before Christmas really questioning as to what the usefulness was of homework, particularly for primary school children. And uh, I have to confess, um, I, not only did I go to primary school myself uh, and did a lot of homework when I was there, but I was a primary school teacher and principal. And on reflecting on it, and uh, what we found um, was a lot of anxiety caused by homework, a lot of friction caused by homework. There was families uh, getting wound up by homework. There was young people who used to dread having to do it and then having to dread to come into school if it was or wasn't done or half done. There would be confrontation in the classroom over what was done or not done. Uh, and you begin to wonder what the usefulness was of this exercise of having homework and having all those disputes and angst and you know uh, turmoil over this thing called homework and also it doesn't really add to the educational experience or the joy of learning when it's something that you have to do mm. uh, and often at home, homework is given purely because the teachers sometimes feel that they have to give homework otherwise uh, they'll, they'll have a reputation of being a soft touch or, or not being serious uh, about their schooling. So. To be honest, I think we have to reflect on what is the point of this. Now, I think what we, we what we would really encourage is for parents to spend time with their children doing something educational. Certainly, we we, we couldn't discourage parents from reading with children. Um, the most powerful tool that we'll ever have in education is is the parent. I know from my own experience, and I know other colleagues would agree with me, that the child that flourishes mo- mo- most and and achieves most in the education sphere is the one who has a parent who listens, who cares, who is willing to take the 10 minutes and to sit and, and to read with the child, uh, no matter what their age. Mm. So that kind of encouragement of the joy of, of learning is key. Having something that is a slog, that is a dread, uh, that is something that you don't like, that you, that you dislike, that you hate, uh, and that it leads to a whole lot of conflict, you really begin to wonder what the usefulness of it is.
2: Mm. Uh, do you think children would learn better at primary level if they weren't given homework?
4: Well, it's hard to know. I mean, you obviously have to manage your day differently um, and you'd have to ensure that, you know, whatever happens in the school uh, is happens in the school. But oftentimes what happens at home in, in terms of homework is, you know, bits of work that weren't completed in the school day uh, and, and children will be asked to do it at home. But it doesn't really, to my mind... Lend itself to to a feeling amongst children that that uh, school or education is a joyful thing. That school or education is something that they can look forward to,
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, and and particularly if you struggle, uh, if you struggle with uh, with homework, uh, or if you're in an environment where homework is it is a massive conflict because of issues at home, uh, you bring that back into the into the school with you. So, um, in terms of the value of it. Versus the conflict, it's to be honest, I'm coming down on the side of schools making the determination that homework just isn't worth it anymore, and that there's, an, that there's too much negativity around it, and that the education experience would be much more enhanced mm. by limiting it to the school day.
2: Okay, if a child is struggling, if a child is finding it difficult to understand, if let's say they can't do their maths homework, uh, is that not a, an opportunity for them to catch up when they have the time and space outside of the classroom?
4: But that's that's not always the case, because what happens is that this this element of their lives that they're not good at is clinging to them all day. So it's not just that they're not good at it in school, they're also not good at it at home. And it's something that they dread when they leave school to go home. They have this thing in the back of their mind about their homework. And then when the homework is completed, uh, whatever time that is, uh, then they go back into school hoping that it's that it's okay, and so this sort of sense of failure about what they're not good at is clinging to them all the time. It's also maybe taking away the hour or the hour and a half or more, it's taking away from family time, which could really be um, much more productively spent in you know, interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships and talking to each other and using oral language and, and reading with each other. I'm not in any way suggesting that homework goes and therefore the child sits in front of the television, or the child, uh, you know, engages in, in in watching a screen. What I'm saying is that that time they spent doing homework will probably be more productive doing uh, being doing doing something else which is family-based and certainly based around around education, but not in such a a sort of a a, a very structured. Formal way, mm. which is which is really what 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 children react against.
2: Okay, I, I take it you uh, suggest a, a different uh, approach for children at different ages. Uh, are, are you talking about no homework at all for primary school children, though?
4: Well, so if we're in the space of talking about primary school children, there's a very, uh, it, it's very different at second level because there's individual teachers and uh, 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 and all that. But again, you'd have to wonder what the usefulness of this is and 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 what it's actually. Uh, achieving um, the amount of conflict, the amount of negativity, uh, the amount of stress that's caused by homework versus in, you know enjoying school for what it is, enjoying the subject learning when you're in that in that zone, uh, in that mindset in the school day, and then home is is something different. Now, I I think we're all traumatized at times. We had to do spellings at home or tables at home or, or, or Irish spellings at home, um, and then not getting it done, and then. Uh, I, 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 I know that homework does give the parent a bit more of an indication of what's being done in the classroom, I accept that, um, but there has to be a better way uh, than this sort of stressful engagement that really is, makes people think negatively about school life, and mm. if you ask any child, homework is something that they really, really don't like.
2: Okay, is homework at second level, not just uh, the second half of the school day though, is it not an important part of learning?
4: Yeah, it, it could be the argument at the moment is around primary school about childhood and the best what they're losing out of uh, out on when when having homework at home. Um, I, I you know I'm I'm I can be convinced. I I, I can happy to have the debate about second level. It's it's a bit more advanced. Uh, it's more exam focused, and, and individual teachers will want uh, a different uh, you know emphasis from their students. Uh, in in a primary school scenario, we have one teacher who is looking at things in the round. They they know that they teach all the subjects themselves. They they have a collective sort of bond with the class, and they know um you know the dynamic of that class where it's go first and uh, and what they what they react well to. Second level is different because each each subject is taught by somebody different, and the uh, and each teacher is different as well. So it's it's a different dynamic, especially around exam time. Mm. I think at second level, what you really should be encouraging young people to do, rather than completing homework. Is probably uh, to to enjoy their subjects more, in in a bit more of a structured way. Mm. But certainly, I think we have to 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 bring more joy into the education experience, to bring more joy into learning, and having you know that sort of uh, oh, I don't know, obligation uh, to com to to complete something something. Uh, under threat of punishment <laughs> in the evening time is not really, um, not really the way to go.
2: Okay, is there an argument uh, that if uh, children uh, don't uh, form the habit uh, uh, of doing homework uh, at primary level that when they get to secondary school and they need to do homework, uh, especially as you say coming into exam time, that they won't have the discipline to do it?
4: I don't think so, I think that that's, that is something that you can certainly learn in the school day if you, if you Offer, you know, provide children with the space to complete a task in the school day, that's what they're learning to do, uh, that's what schools do uh, you offer a child a, a safe and secure uh, asylum place to, to complete some some concentration work and they'll learn those skills in the school day, um, having that skill is something that can be easy transferred transfer down to second level
2: Okay, Uh, while you're with us, uh, can I ask you uh, about uh, the controversy uh, that is uh, starting uh, to rage now in relation uh, to nursing home charges. Uh, It looks as though there's going to be questions when the doll resumes today for the Taoiseach Leo Vradger for Simon Harris, the current Minister for Justice, and Helen McEntee, uh, who's on maternity leave from uh, that role, and indeed uh, to the government's legal strategy which uh, the Daily Mail has been uh, claiming uh, meant that people were only receiving 40-60% to 60% of what their claims would have been worth. Any thoughts on that that you'd like to share with us?
4: Well, I think before we jump to conclusions we just need to get some answers. I listened to the teacher yesterday on Talk, who was quite categoric as to his view of, of his responsibilities as Minister for, for Health and he suggested that this hadn't come across his desk. The uh, the report today in in the mail suggests otherwise, uh, and it's quite serious if we have sort of documentary evidence um, of the t- of the teacher actually doing one thing, but the teacher has said has said something else. But in fairness to the to the process, uh, the questions will be asked, and quite at this questions today at two o'clock, and we'll see what the teacher has to say. But uh, um this is the, This is a way of politics you know um it, it can be difficult sometimes to get your head down and try to uh, tackle the country's problems when often some things from the past come up to come back to haunt you. We've had it with Pascal Donahhu mm-hmm. we've had it with, with Damien English, who we still feel needs to come in front of the door and answer questions as to as to his own. Uh, issues, and, and there we have it with the
2: shirt. Okay, we'll leave there for the moment, and as you say, we'll be hearing much more about this throughout the day. Thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. That's Aon O'Reardon, the Labour Party spokesperson on education.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on
2: LMFM. Now a couple of comments with us uh, this morning. Thanks if you've uh, been in touch with us uh, today. Deirdre in touch uh, saying uh, that the President is right. Children shouldn't be getting homework. Uh, they can learn what they need to learn during school times, which would be a lot better and would free up their evenings allowing them to concentrate on other parts of life. Paddy Duffy in touch with us uh, about this story uh, that came to light in uh, the Sunday Mail and the Continues today uh, in uh, the Daily Mail, and indeed uh, many questions being asked, and many other patients uh, about compensation uh, for nursing home charges, uh, saying he's not one bit surprised by the latest divulgence about the treatment of Irish people by the state. This was not Michael Noonan's first rodeo. Remember the Bridget McCall case? He personally is the one single politician uh, who has many questions to answer, like vulture funds uh, which he invited into the country to pick over Nama's bones. He, He further invited the venture capitalists in with the result of people being fleece to with the, the price of homes to buy, to rent, to do anything with. Yes, we all owe Michael Nonan and Finnegale a grat- uh, a debt of gratitude, says uh, Paddy Duffy. Uh, Jim in touch with us saying the decision by Meath County Council to do wi- away with loyalty cards for recycling centres is mean. Uh, especially when they're planning a multi-million extension uh, for the council office, uh, which uh, Jim seems to think is unnecessary because uh, they also have the old council building uh, on railway street uh, which is more than sufficient he says thank you uh, indeed uh, for that uh, as well Jim now on uh, the subject of housing uh, there's an interesting proposal being made this week which would result in thirty thousand euro being knocked off uh, the cost of of a 400,000 euro house. Uh, that's coming from the business group, IBEC uh, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh,
3: and it's holding us back as a country and holding us back as an economy and a society as well, in my view. And that's why we're determined as a government uh, to turn the corner uh, on the housing crisis as soon as we possibly can. And Housing for All is our plan to do that. Um, and it is a plan that is showing results. Um, our main housing target last year Uh, will not just be met, it will be exceeded. Uh, We targeted the construction of 25,000 new homes last year. We don't have the numbers in yet, but it looks like it's going to be closer to 28,000. So that main housing target uh, was not only met, it was exceeded uh, last year. And of course our target for this year uh, is to build about 29,000 new homes. And I want that to be exceeded this year as well, by the way. Um, We're working really hard to make sure that the slowdown in commencements uh, doesn't result uh, in a slowdown uh, in completions.
2: Um. That's the Taoiseach, Leo Bradker, speaking in the doll last week about the government's ambitious housing for all. Not ambitious enough, it would seem, in uh, the view of IBEC. Fergal O'Brien, Executive uh, Director of Lobbying and Influence with IBEC, is on uh, the line with us. And a uh, very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on foot of the, your report, which you've published, Better Lives, Better Business. You say that housing is an issue for everybody, including employers uh, who we are finding it uh, difficult to, to attract staff. Uh, but you're also suggesting that €30,000 could be knocked off at the price of a house that would otherwise cost €400,000. And that could be done with immediate effect. How so?
5: Good morning, Michael. How are you? And thanks for having me on this morning. Um, so I suppose, as, as you rightly say, look, in the, in the introduction, this has long since been such a significant social issue and has been an issue for for, for employers as well, in terms of being able to get staff. But we now see it as probably the most significant limiting factor for the economy. So we have 70% of our members telling us that housing is a significant challenge in terms of growing their businesses because they simply can't get staff due to housing shortages. Um, so I, I think, look, we all know the extent of the problem, and, and it's something that we see in every part of the country. So there isn't a county or a town um, across the country that's, that, that's not being impacted by, by housing challenges at the moment. Mm. But we believe there's lots of Things we can do, and there, are, there is progress coming through from the, the government's housing fall plan, as a, as a teacher rightly set out. Um, but we're, we're going to need to go further. Um, the housing commission last week estimated that we could need up to 60,000 houses a year. So we have to do a lot more. Um, you mentioned the, the point around affordability. We, we charge a lot of tax in this country on new homes and we believe that we should tax less that which we want more of hmm. and if we're going to meet the, the the scale of demand or the pent-up demand that's out there we should tax new homes less.
2: That scale, 60,000 though, uh, I mean it's an incredible uh, amount of uh, construction, uh, 28,000 new homes last year exceeding the target of 25,000, 29,000 uh, expected this year, that's the target, the Taoiseach there saying he hopes to exceed that uh, again Uh, Obviously, if you had more supply, you'd dampen the demand and bring down the cost of housing. I take it that's where you're getting that reduction in uh, the cost of a €400,000 house by €30,000.
5: Well, it's actually mainly tax, actually. So so before the supply even comes on stream, um, we're saying if you tax less, then you can bring down the cost overnight. So we could actually do this this week. And, and we could reduce the cost of new homes uh, immediately and we we do that in two ways one we give you give we charge a lot of VAT we charge 13 and 12% VAT on a new home so even with a 5% refund to the home buyer and we have a lot of the levies that the new home buyers also pay in terms of funding infrastructure yeah. in the local community. But we think that infrastructure should be paid for by everyone, not just those who are buying the new homes, because they're already the ones that are put to the pen in their collar in terms of affordability. So the combination of those two factors would, pre- would take 30,000 off uh, a typical 400,000 euro home. So yeah. overnight, you have a significant improvement in affordability. And then as, as supply comes on stream, as you rightly yeah. say, 60,000 60, homes is ambitious and is Going to challenge us. But let's not forget, we were building 90,000 new homes 15 years ago. So this can't be beyond this in terms of the capacity of the country, in terms mm. of the administrative of the public system, or in the capacity of the construction sector. This can be done.
2: Okay. Uh, where do you get the people to do it? Where do you get the workmen? I mean, I can't get a tap changed in the house
5: yeah and, and and that's absolutely going to be a challenge michael so and and so, so some of these things that we've set out, we think you could do quite quickly, and more of them um it is going to take us some time um we have to invest in in that skills pipeline in terms of apprenticeships, making sure that we're putting sufficient resources to that. But we can also deliver a lot more productivity in the industry. You know, we don't think that you need to go back to the type of construction industry that we had 15 years ago. So, for example, we think there's a much greater role that can be played through modern methods of of construction, um, through off-site construction. So, you know, we have a world-class manufacturing sector in Ireland that produces all sorts of components for the global economy. We could get that manufacturing sector producing more houses off site and then true 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 modular delivery um, we can really ramp up the delivery of, of of new homes and that can be done you know using innovation um, modern research and development and all of the kind of techniques that industry and manufacturing is so good at they could be applied more effectively for our construction sector as well
2: and when employers are finding it difficult to uh, attract staff is that a uh, uh, difficulty that uh, refers to people coming to work in this country from overseas
5: and and within the country um so we're seeing you know employers lots of these in the public sector actually um we're seeing lots of schools particularly in those areas and probably around the the greater dublin area dublin dublin and the neighboring counties and and, and um Uh, uh, and in other cities as well. So we're seeing young people who may have options to find cheaper accommodation away from the major urban areas. They're choosing to do so, especially if they're in in public service, if they're in teaching and nursing-related professions. So getting those workers uh, to to live and work in the areas where where the housing challenges are most acute is really challenging. Um, We've we've lots of employers who've um, offered jobs to, to workers from overseas, and when those workers have gone on to the websites mm. to to check the the price of the availability of homes, and they find you know almost non-existent rental stock in the town uh, in which they've been offered a job, they they simply don't come. Or the prospect
2: of the uh, prospect of getting home at the end of the month uh, and uh, looking what uh, you've earned over the course of uh, that time and paying out two thousand or more in rent, um,
5: and and. So we've experienced this challenge previously in terms of the cost of housing shoving up inflation and the cost of living and ultimately wage expectations because it's, it's, um, it's clearly a factor that if 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 workers are paying such a high um, percentage of their take-home pay in rent, then there's pressure on their employers in, in, in terms of wage increases and for many employers that's simply not affordable. So, so it, there's a real competitiveness issue around the cost of housing as well and for for, for younger workers in particular um, that are trying to struggle with the high rental costs. It's, it's a very significant challenge.
2: All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to join us uh, this morning. Fergal O'Brien, Executive uh, Director of Lobbying and Influence uh, with uh, the business group IBEC. Michael,
1: Michael Reed, Reed on,
2: on LMFM. Yeah, the challenge of immigration to this country is proving uh, beyond. Uh, belief uh, it has to be said uh, and uh, one that the government uh, is uh, grappling with uh, now saying uh, that it cannot find accommodation for adults who come here without children. Now just under half of people in the country are not satisfied with uh, the way the government is dealing with uh, the immigration pro- problem. That's uh, according to uh, Business Post Red Sea poll that was published yesterday 45% of People said they wouldn't support modular homes for Ukrainians. Just over a third say it's not only the far right who are opposed to refugees. And there is this problem now of people sleeping on the streets being told not to come to this country. Last week, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child asked the Minister for Children if children are going to be turned away from Ireland at the border and we're also seeing this morning that the Ukraine Civil Society Forum is once again asking for a migration SAR to oversee the response to this crisis, something it's been asking for since it established in around last March. They say that the current response is not fast nor flexible enough and that it needs to be treated as the emergency it is. Let's speak uh, to Felix of all senator erin mcgreen who is uh, the party spokesperson on children in the Shannon, and also uh, a member of uh, the committee that looks at integration in uh, this country and a very good morning to you senator mcgreen uh, undoubtedly we're not in a, an ideal situation do you believe we could be doing better
6: good morning michael and thanks very much for having me on this morning i suppose we everyone, we all can do better, and and as I say, we always can, can can improve, Michael, and we just have to, you know, put this incredible uh, effort into context. And over the last eleven months, we have seen. Unprecedented, you know, extraordinary numbers of refugees entering our country. I think you know far greater than we've ever experienced before. Or as you say, we couldn't even imagine that, that so many people will be coming to our country. And we have to acknowledge the huge efforts by you know from the likes of the Irish Red Cross, community organisations, State Departments, our local authorities, and just our general our people, our population. Mm. They have been extraordinary. And nearly seventy-five thousand people have been accommodated. And you put that in context, Michael, that's been the population of Tendork and Drogheda um, have, been, have been housed.
2: I know, so but it, it, that's, it, it, that's it's only half the amount of people that we were told to expect coming from Ukraine alone yeah. last March. We were told to expect up to 200,000 people.
6: Absolutely, and we... we they were there were only estimations, Michael. We we are entering into we entered into a unknown world last February when the war started in Ukraine and we are now we are now a year in and I think, you know, it's it's time and we have we have come to a point now that we're all reevaluating where we are in the situation, I think the government departments are reevaluating what's the next steps. You know, even at EU le- EU level, we're hearing you know the the reports that you know the migration migration is being discussed at a high level over there as well. So we're entering into a whole new phase um, of this of this. But we have to say, you know, seventy five thousand people accommodated, Um the now, as you well um, have stated before, Michael, is the challenge now is to continue that. Society cohesion to keep the positivity going, and as those challenges grow, and um, the difficulties arise, that becomes more and more difficult. Um, and you know, we have we all know we have a legal and moral responsibility to provide shelter mm. to those who come to our country. And we're
2: failing uh, in, in that sense. Uh, it's still only a small number of people, but it's a, a number of people uh, that uh, are, are growing in numbers every day who are being processed at City West and sent a, a, away with uh, a €20 Euro voucher uh, and otherwise left to fend for themselves, sleep on the streets or wherever they can find somewhere to sleep.
6: Yeah, and Michael, and, and like, that is desperate. Like, it really is desperate. And, and nobody can Can say that anyway that that you know, we we as a state think that that is okay. The government don't think that that is okay, and we are in a desperate situation. It is unprecedented, and you can use all these terms, um, but they are very very accurate. Mm. The thing is now that we need to kick in, um, and to you know. work as hard as possible to resource communities resource local authorities to be able to find um, accommodation and i think there are also um, there's a, a whole community effort that needs that there's there's that link up or that lack of link up and michael your you know your visit to Tripoli house was a really important part of all of, all, all of that as well we, we talked to the, to, the, to the residents there and, you know, we, we got to know the residents um, as people. Right. And I think, you know, my questions um, to my colleagues this week would be to, you know, the Department of Local Government to appoint an integration officers in each local council who would be dedicated to working with communities, the stakeholders the migrants, and migrants, that each council would have funding to support that. Um, and I do think that there is, there should be an on-the-ground liaison person who can see first-hand the difficulties. So, the, a, you know, a community group can can contact the office. A politician can contact the office and say, "Here, there's a situation here. What can we do? What can we work in, work to to resolve? Because we know that the migration issue is not going to go away, and um, we've 55,000 mm. Ukrainians and, and nearly." Twenty thousand people interna- seeking international protection. So I think we all need to kick kick up a gear, um, and all resources that are needed in the Department of Integration should be put in place. Um, and there is we, we have seen those government briefings um, for the new ministers of State, Joe O'Brien and um, their their fears in you know, if there's not a. Yeah, the people—people people, if, mm. if, if payments aren't being processed—and mm.
2: that's people, people who are providing accommodation paid. aren't getting paid. Yeah, and they're—they're yeah. they're, they're very serious problems because you couldn't blame anybody for turning around and saying, "Well, I've had a, a, enough." But isn't there plenty of accommodation? I mean, what about all of these empty buildings around the country?
6: Yeah, well, we saw yesterday a huge, a huge effort um, to by the government one hundred and fifty euro million worth of. A plan for local councils to be able to get, you know, vacant and derelict, derelict properties, um up to, you know, up for for residential. I think there's a, a, a there is um, a two a, a parallel line here, Michael. There is the you know the social housing and that process, and then we have the refugee housing. But then at, at some point, both have to meet. Um, and that you know, if, if people choose to stay here and live here and make their make their lives, and um, you know, get employment and all those things, that they have a pathway to housing, and the housing is available for them, and whether that be public housing and whether that be their own private housing, because a, a lot of people are coming to this country. Thankfully, um we have you know very high qualified people coming to the country, and we need to be able to work with that, um, and to embrace that, um, and to take as as much of the advantage of having a diverse community and a diverse back, diverse people in our work work workforce. Mm. So I think there is we need to at all times and um, work with everything that we've got and um, and we're seeing government intervention. And um, like us all Michael, we're always frustrated by, you know, delays and deli- and, and mm. delays in delivery. And um, and that is that is a perpetual fear of people and a perpetual problem for, for government.
2: Yeah, but um, sometimes you don't have the time for the delay. I mean, it's not always the case, but when you have people arriving, uh, 30 people a day uh, arriving into a country where there's no accommodation for them, and uh, you're told that the problem will last for 30 days, you're going to have an awful lot of people sleeping on the streets. At that stage you have separate problems as a result of the first problem. Uh, It it just shouldn't happen in the first place. What do you think of this suggestion from the Ukraine Civil Society Forum, uh, which is a long-standing suggestion at this stage, almost a a year old, that somebody is put in place to oversee everything that's happening to try and help people when they come here seeking international protection?
6: Yes, personally, I would have been supportive of that um, at at the very first call, Michael. I think, you know, we've had, you know, we had for our, our vaccine rollout. We had, you know, we had a great. We had a Brian McCrae, who was head of that rollout, who, who we all agree with, had a fantastic. It was a real success. So when you when you appoint someone with sole focus, with one sole objective, and um, I think that is, that can only be positive. And I would have been, I would have been very supportive of that call. And um, you know, going going back, I think that there's. There is a gap there. Um, the minister for integration has a job for integration, um, and uh, a migrant czar, as they call it, mm. as the papers call it. I think it'd be a very good, a very good call, um, and that would be the type of person that my suggestion for uh, you know uh, a liaison person within local departments could be feeding into. Do you know, so mm. there is a, a need for 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 everyone to come together. You know, when we think about. Our local intro offices, our employability offices, you know, where, what what guidance have they been given to be able to, you know, help seek, um, seek employment for people? Because we all know that, you know, asylum seekers have the right to work after six months. Um,
2: and yeah. and and, and, right. and Ukrainians have uh, special leave, so they can work as soon as they right. arrive. Uh, but uh, they're not welcomed by some people. Obviously, we've seen terrible protests. Uh, but that poll uh, in the Business Post, yes, they suggest that just under a, a third uh, don't want refugees uh, in this country. What do you make of that finding? Well,
6: we have to kind of break it down, Michael, and see well what. What's the fears? And again, we don't have the answers and what exactly are the fears. And we see these awful, you know, things about, you know, sexual violence against women. But I'm, I'm afraid to tell them that sexual violence has been has been done onto women by Irish people all, all, all of it for, for generations. So we have, we have to dispel and pull apart what that 30%, hmm. what are they afraid of? And I think for, you know, we have to get... Um, or an- another suggestion that i would be putting forward is you know for the likes of the psycap program that's social inclusion and but, community activation program
2: but should
6: we funding for tackle poverty social exclusion okay but engagement. but but should
2: those fears it's not have 18-100. been dispelled before now i i mean it was the 24th of february when russia invaded ukraine here we are now uh on the day before february almost a, a year on uh, and yes. Uh, there are those fears. Uh, there hasn't been that type of integration or uh, people meeting up with other people. Should something have not been done uh, in that sense before now?
4: I
6: absolutely agree, Michael, and I think we're because our, because this country had such a such a generosity of spirit and and and, and, and kindness. I think maybe you know the department got the eye off the ball there, and now we're we're. The, the, those, those feelings have come to a fore now that we didn't face. Okay. And, and we clearly haven't faced. But I do think that the state you know, has, a, has a huge responsibility. And to remind people that if the, for the state to support migrant communities, they're also supporting all communities. Because it's not about you know, us and them. It's actually about all of us. Okay. So we have strong communities we have strong communities for everyone. It's the same about riding one, riding all, boats, cycle here because we can be a richer community. And and you know, our GEA clubs, our soccer clubs, our mm-hmm. basketball clubs, our athletic clubs, mm-hmm. and our local, our local, uh, our. Our local organisations can thrive and strive. Mm.
2: And we can reinvent ourselves, uh, but we can also do the decent thing for people at their time of great need. again I think with
6: Mm -hmm. a liaison officer and a person Mm. who is dedicated to be that link person.
2: Okay, I'm over time, Erin. I have to leave it there. I'm sorry. But uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Much appreciated. Uh, That is Fianna Fáil Senator Erin McGreen, who is uh, the spokesperson for Fianna Fáil in the Shannon on Children.
1: Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM Now
2: the interim uh, report last week uh, from uh, the Mental Health Commission on uh, Child and Adult Mental Health Services certainly brought into focus uh, a lot of uh, the failings uh, for children who are at times going through a crisis uh, and indeed it's brought that concern to the fore uh, and we heard from Richard uh, last week who, who put that uh, position into real perspective for us when we learned to the crisis that he was going through uh, with his 16 year old daughter and uh, trying to get a-, a bed for the young girl who had been referred for residential treatment.
4: Minister Butler in particular, I, I've been over and back to you in relation to, to many, many issues over many years and, and in fairness, we, we've tried to deal with them on an individual basis except that neither of us have uh, our doctors and um, But that's not the way to do business. And look, Imelda Munster was in here earlier, and look, she stated quite clearly um, the issue of a father, it's Richard, and his 16-year-old daughter, Amy, going through an absolute crisis. And look, we've all done that from time to time and and brought issues to the floor. In fairness, it was an issue that um, Richard had gone public on the Michael Reed show on LMFM. And hopefully, sometimes, in doing this, you get traction and you bring something to a head but it's not the way to do business it's in no way to do business in any way shape or form.
2: Let's speak to Fiona Jennings Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the ISPCC that's the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children and a very good morning to you Fiona Jennings and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. We were listening to Sinn Féin T.D. Rouriau speaking in the doll last week in that clip. there's. Obvious failings in the CAM service. Is it a question, though, of he shouts loudest gets the best response?
3: Good morning, Michael. Um, I don't know if it's a case of he who shouts loudest. I think the problem is that there is this disparity among the type of service across the country, and I think that's what the interim report showed. And I suppose, first of all, if we take a step back, the Maskey report last year, which looked into services in Kerry, and we thought that was an isolated incident, that it was one individual um, practitioner. Um, but now, obviously, with the Mental Health Commission interim report, it shows that, it, you know, that issue is actually widespread and there's even more concerns. Um, and I think as well, a point to make that, you know, the very fact that this the Commission took it upon themselves to report or to deliver an interim report just shows the level of crisis that's in, that is there Um But as Dr. Leo Murphy said, you know, it is no way to do business. And, you know, the business is children and young people's mental health. And often in the case of Richard, who spoke on your show, it's children and parents themselves as well who are at, you know, the very end of their tether, if you Mm. want. You've tried so many different avenues to get support for their child or young person and then have found themselves you know in a crisis situation and and like that you know try, trying every avenue they can to get a service and that's not that's not how our children's you know health mental health services should be
2: why is that the case uh, i mean i think uh, we're all aware of people who've been screaming from the rooftops but to no avail uh, they go unresponded to why are we failing children as badly as that on occasion um,
3: and I think on occasion it's a good way of putting it, Michael, because I you're just conscious as well that there will be a lot of parents listening to your show who may be in the same situation um, that, that Richard is in, and that there are fantastic people um, working within the CAM service. But I suppose the system that they're working in is it, it's fractured. It's it's, cri- it's in a crisis situation. You know, we would say that it, it is utterly broken. Um, We've we've heard about the staffing issues that are there, but I guess you know if you're if you're operating a system that's not fit for purpose, then you're not going to entice staff into that. And you know, in some areas, I think it was down as low as you know forty-five, fifty percent. So n- nobody can provide a meaningful service with that um, th- th- with that amount of of people missing from it. That's the first thing. And I suppose as well, you know, there's been different people speaking as well. And we heard statements in the hall last Thursday evening also around the the actual, the digital transformation process that the HSE doesn't. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
4: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
6: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
3: Seem to have taken on in terms of um, the mental health service. So, you know, that type of ensuring continuity of care, it impacts on that. But I suppose even at basic levels, you know, there's been issues around the prescribing of medication to children and young people. And I know there's another report coming out um, in terms of looking at those particular prescribing practices. But not following up on children, so not being aware of you know whether a can's intervention has made any difference positive or negative to a child or young person that's quite concerning as well mm. i think it's difficult to pinpoint it down to one particular issue no. i think it's probably reached a stage now where all the, the the issues that have been happening, you know, have come together and th- the situation we've landed in is what it is.
2: Mm, but I, I still wonder why it is as bad a service as it is on occasion, uh, because we've known about all of those issues that are, are, are resulting uh, in us failing children for years, decades even.
3: Yeah, and many commentators have come out and they've said that and, you know, even ourselves as well, why we have been shocked at the level I suppose of crisis of situation, uh, the situation the the service is in. We're not surprised by it. We hear regularly from families trying to navigate the complex system that's there, and um, you know if their child has a mental health issue, if they also have um, a coexisting disability issue, or even if there's a child protection issue in there as well, it is incredibly difficult to get the support that they need. Um, we really feel that it's now reached a point where. The key departments, so children, education, health, they really need to sit down and identify their own individual roles within the provision of mental health services for children and young people. And they need to be working together in terms of um, providing the best mental health service they can. As I said, there are fantastic people within the service Mm -hmm. who know themselves
2: Oh and, and know, many, many of many of them have been making many of them have been making these arguments themselves for many years
3: they have, and I suppose you know Minister Mary Butler, our Minister for older health and mental and mental health, older people and mental health rather um I know she spoke in the all as well, and that she now was you know had zero tolerance in terms of the governance issues that are at stake, so I suppose we have to you know take her at her word now mm. and see how she can progress this. Um you know it very much is on her desk now, yep. and um you know let's you know we're all hopeful that we can all play a part in terms of supporting children and young people's mental health mm. because we will always need a calm service, so we will always need that specialized intervention, mm. but I suppose the services that are available at an earlier stage as well we'd love to see them championed more also.
2: Mm. Okay, but are you concerned that when it comes to CAMS, that um, while we're being told it's unacceptable, that a year from now, let's say, just like the trolley crisis in the hospitals, which is unacceptable and was unacceptable last year and for every year before that going back decades, uh, that it will continue uh, to shock us all and we'll be told once again that it's unacceptable and we go from year to year saying the same things, empty rhetoric, if you like.
3: I know, and I can see where you're coming from because that is what's happening, I suppose, in in physical health, if you want, that the the trolley crisis is something that happens year on year. Um, We're really hoping that's not going to be the case. I mean, childhood is such a short period of time for children and young people. um, And we certainly in the ISPCC will be pursuing this um, in terms of making sure to our best of ability that things do change and that we do have a better um, mental health service for children and young people. But I think what really needs to happen now is that we do need to see from the Minister in terms of, you know, what type mm-hmm. of action plan is going to be there, what t- in terms of tackling this and what type of timelines are going to be put against that in order to, um, I suppose, in somewhat get out of the mess that we're in.
2: Okay. Fiona, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, for joining us on the programme today. Much appreciated. Fiona Jennings is uh, Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the ISPCC, that's the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Sheila says uh, that if you were to stop children from doing homework, it could lead to, to... issues, uh, because if all of the work is being done in school, surely there's a huge chance that kids could copy each other's answers and then they'd all be getting the same marks. Doing away with homework also takes away a parent's opportunity to see how their child is doing in school and stops them from seeing how they're progressing with the curriculum. Thanks uh, very much for that, Sheila. I see a story in one of the papers uh, this morning, just can't remember offhand, uh, of a child... Uh, who ended up in a, a bit of bother with his teacher who thought his homework was too good, it was too perfect. It turned out it was written for the child by a computer, uh, Johnny in touch saying he can't believe uh, that we're now thinking of doing away with homework in order to make things easier for children. What kind of message is that sending out to kids? If we do that, surely it's our job as parents uh, to let children know that they'll have to face difficult things in life and do what we can to help them prepare to face these difficulties as they arise. To teach them that daddy and mammy can make all these difficulties disappear is wrong. Johnny is beginning to think that we're not doing our children any favours by removing all of these obstacles from their lives. In fact, we're failing to prepare them properly for what's coming down the line. Thank you indeed uh, for your message to the programme as well. If you have been in touch, thanks for doing that. It's uh, great to be getting the comments Uh, and if you haven't and you would like to make comment on the programme our telephone number is 0419832000 you can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie
1: Michael Reed on LMFM Well,
2: three years ago, just a a little over three years ago, the most horrific murder took place in Drogheda, the killing and mutilation of a 17-year-old boy, Keem Mulready Woods. Following that murder, people said... It's enough. It's gone past time that something was done about this after two or three years of terrible, violent incidents which had a town living in siege, people accustomed to the Garda helicopter flying overhead all of the time, not too surprised that somebody had been shot or had been nearly shot or had been murdered let alone the beatings the stabbings and indeed all of the petrol bomb attacks that emanated from a bitter drugs feud in the town Uh, as a result of the murder of uh, Keemal Reedy Woods uh, there was a, a huge protest, and politicians who were represented from every political party in Drogheda and promised that change would come. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, commissioned uh, former probation officer Vivian Geeran to look at Drogheda and uh, the surrounding areas and uh, to make some suggestions as to what could be done to change the situation. Vivian Guerin made over 70 recommendations and on the back of that, the Drogheda Implementation Board was formed. Today we're going to hear a little bit about their work. We're joined uh, by the independent chair of the board, Michael Kyo, and the coordinator of uh, the board, gronya Beryl. And you're both very welcome to the studio and for joining us here today and uh, thanks for coming in to us. Uh, Michael. Uh, maybe you tell us a, a little bit about what the objectives of the board is.
8: Okay, well uh, we were we were established in October twenty uh, twenty one, so we're up and running probably uh, just over a year really. Uh, so the our core function is to be the core driver and coordinator of the change contained in the implementation plan. So as you referenced there, Michael yourself. 73 recommendations so our job really is to ensure as best we can that those 73 recommendations are implemented Mm. and we do that our structure is we have a uh, we have a board which is the takes a a strategic view on the work and we have four subgroups underneath that and that's where really all the work has been done so Mm. uh, we got Grania on board in december 12 months ago which was a huge plus for us. I'm not just saying that because she's sitting beside me, but she's made a huge difference. Uh, So she's put proper structures in place. She's put proper communications and everything else. She attends all the subgroup meetings. She has allocated each of the actions to the four subgroups. She attends all the subgroup meetings and she makes sure that the focus of the subgroup uh, and the workings of those groups are on the actions themselves.
2: So our objective
8: Mm. is, uh, during our lifetime, to implement the 73 actions as best we can and to make Drogheda a safer place for people to live and work in.
2: Okay, maybe uh, you could uh, explain uh, what you think that last sentence means, Gronia. Uh, what's your vision uh, as a, a group after the recommendations are implemented? So what will that do uh, for people living in this town and further afield?
3: Well
0: a big part of it is people working together so like community safety is a very broad piece Um there's so many there's, like Michael and yourself both referenced the 73 recommendations and actions they're so broad you know they're everything there mm. whether it's uh, work for young people whether it's for um whether it's policing whether it's you know kind of enterprise opportunities for employment education and training in the town so it's really really broad so I suppose in the long term um the delivery of the actions will be one piece where people will see a lot of them are very long term impacts and we might talk about some of the Mm. the actual delivery of the actions in a minute but um, people working together would be a very big long term impact as well so one of the things that Vivian Guirin did reference in his report was people working in silos, you know they're they're kind of working separately Mm. and a lot of people doing a lot of good work but it's all happening kind of piecemeal or, or separated mm. from each other. So now one of the big impacts we think will be that the, the structures of the board have facilitated people to come together and to work together on issues that are relating to community safety for people living in Drada or, or you know, people visiting or working in Drada. Um, I know that sounds very like, uh, what's the actual concrete outcome? The concrete outcome is, is a safer town, what mm. Michael just said there. It's a place where, you know, a young person has opportunities um, to do education, training, employment here where, um, which we do have those opportunities mm. already to a great extent, but it's enhanced. But that certainly from my perspective um, and I hope from the board's perspective is that collaborative work. And that was one of Vivian Gehren's biggest I would say recommendations but themes mm. oh, yeah, in the plan, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, themes yeah. in the report that he wrote was that cross agency, interagency collaboration and there are, there so, are
2: so, so does that mean that your hope is to stop the gangsters from killing each other?
8: That's one of, well, that's mm. that's that's an issue really in the first instance for the guards and they have been quite successful mm. in tackling that I mean they've they mm. made significant progress oh, And, and, yeah, and
2: I think they brought a, a, an end to that feud yeah, yeah. But, but we're saying the actors being replaced by a, a new breed, uh, we've had an awful lot of petrol bombs in the course of the last month and they're all related to the drug trade yeah.
8: I think it's fair to say that the guards are in a better place to, to, to address that than the than Beforehand, when when the thing uh, blew up mm. in the first instance, uh, I think the the extra resources the he got locally, I think will make a difference. I don't mm. think it'll get to that level again. Uh, I think the guards are, are well on top of it. I mean, they've, they've okay.
2: Well, there was four fellows who had to run out of a the house there not so long ago no, because their these, house was these, on fire. You these incidents
8: will happen, but mm. I think the, the guards are in a better mm. position to tackle that. So I think mm. they've been very and
2: it, 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 is that a job for the guards alone, or does the implementation board? Uh, have interaction with the Gardaí. I know that uh, drugs and policing uh, makes up one of uh, the subgroups. But, uh, I mean, is the board going and saying, well, you know that house that was petrol bombed? There's drug dealers in there and all the neighbours know it and we've known it for years.
8: Yeah, but if you talk to, say, Chief Chief Superintendent Alan McGovern or Superintendent Andrew Waters or any of the guards, Mm. I think they'll be the first to say that guards can't do this on their own, that Mm. they have to do it. With the community, hmm. so the community. But does it
2: worry you that the dogs in the street know where drug dealers live in this town, uh, and they I, continue I after getting their house attacked to sell drugs to young people, uh, and that results in young zombies walking down the street?
8: It is a worry, and it's a big worry for for everybody in Drahada. It's a worry for hmm. the guards. It's a deficit well. in policing though, isn't it? It's. I think it's hard to. to to gauge as to how much police you need. Can, mm. can you ever stop that kind of low level activity? You know, uh, I think it's, it's a difficult one. Uh, but so we have some initiatives here whereby uh, the community policing section of the guards are in those estates. They're, they're building relationships. Uh, the community policing resource in the mm. guards has been significantly increased. So they are in the in those states. They're developing really good relationships mm. with the community. They're in the schools. Uh, Each school has a nominated member of the Guard of to to contact London and stuff. We've run uh, initiatives for teachers and uh, school Mm. uh, workers to make them more aware of issues that arise when pupils come into the school and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of work going on Mm. in in trying to uh, increase that level of cooperation between the guards and the community, Mm. as I say. Gers counties on their own, they need the community to mm. help them, mm. whatever. And, and, and
2: the community wants to, but the community is quite often afraid. Yeah. Uh, and and, and, and right, there are some initiatives yeah. here that we're
8: hoping mm. to roll out. So there was one just before. Mm. Christmas. say, where the the rolled out. Ask for Angela, which which mm. is an initiative very good. if mm. uh, you know if men or women mm. find themselves in a difficult mm. position, particularly young girls in pubs, yeah, yeah, they say yeah. to the doorman. So we rolled that out for mm. Christmas with the huge cooperation of mm. the guards. Yeah. There's a, a say it see it one, mm. uh, which is uh, a text messaging service, which was piloted in in Kerry, and we're hoping to roll that out in the first quarter of this year as well. Mm. So that's will let you report
2: drug dealers? Is it?
8: Any type of antisocial criminal, antisocial okay. behaviour, mm. and they can do it in an, in an anonymous mm. way. Sitting on a bus or sitting mm. in a taxi, if they see something, they'll be able to text a number, and mm. the local guardy will be able to uh, look and see what's happening there. Mm. So that'll mean three things there: one, to be again, it'll strengthen the sense of cooperation between the mm. guards and the community. It'll help the guards to actually allocate resources where it's needed most, and mm. whatever. And hopefully, it'll stop more criminality mm. so those are the kind of initiatives that we're working with the guards through again they've been piloted in some areas of the country they have worked well and so what that's the kind of approach we're taking where there's a good evidence base where things are working well we want to pilot them here and we have been in successful in actually uh being able to get those pilots uh started in Drahada and there's a few more coming
2: down the track. Mm. So. No, well, a- anything uh, that helps with the criminality I think will be welcomed by the community uh, listening to us uh, this morning uh, and um, I suppose we've seen less of it uh, as you said firsthand uh, in recent months. Uh, is there a concern amongst you about the next breed of drug dealers uh, given that we're seeing these attacks again. um, You said, Michael, you don't believe it's going to get as bad again, but um, are we looking at something similar?
0: Well, I suppose, uh, again, coming back to Vivian Gearing's original report Mm. and the actions and the plan, which is the core focus of the board, is to implement Mm. those actions. Um, A lot of it is around prevention piece. So it's around working with young people. Michael referenced there the work that we've been doing in terms of schools. Mm. So the guards, obviously, are doing a lot more interventions in schools. Um, I know they're doing a TY programme now. They're rolling that out in the next few weeks. But, you know, the the events that we ran where we brought schools together with kind of getting them information around... um, drug and alcohol use with no. young people. Um, but also there's a, been a lot of investment in terms of young people. So it's a bit of the prevention piece. I, I know what you're saying about yeah. being concerned, yeah. but we have to get down at the very beginning. and well, That's, that's the beginning. I, yeah, yeah.
2: And maybe, maybe that's too late. And I think that's one of uh, the points that's been made over the last number of years that maybe we need to start in kindergarten.
0: Well, potentially. I mean, mm. that's, it. to be honest, that mm. very early intervention doesn't really come up in Vivian Gearan's report, but that is something that we've been working with some partners mm. around. So we hosted an event there last October where we brought uh, 50 people from a variety of settings, whether that was schools, um, but it was also social mm. workers, it was HSE staff, it was community workers, it was youth workers, to look at that whole piece around trauma and around how... Um, circumstances can influence mm. a person from a very early stage in life and we're yeah. looking at that kind of upskilling maybe the, the, the crash sector, do you know like mm. potentially that that could be a piece of work that we're going to do. But I will say like there has been a lot of investments in the youth mm. side. I, I know what you're saying about too late, is it ever too late though? We can, mm. we, we can make an intervention at any stage. Oh you know, well,
2: of course, works, yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. like our
0: youth diversion mm. programmes have had a lot of investment mm. as a result of the plan and the board. Can we stop um, children
2: being suspended or expelled from school?
0: that's actually a piece of work we've been looking at as well so there's, mm. a, there's um, It's one
2: of the big problems I think from what I hear that so
1: there children are, are left
2: musicians. at home all day nothing to do uh, and then you know there's a, a, a lot to attract a young person whether exactly. it's fancy clothes or watches or money or guns uh, and it's better than sitting at home all day idle
0: Yes, yeah, so there's actually a project coming. Um, I know the recruiting staff were there this month. It's one of the Community Safety Innovation Funds. So that proceeds the crime fund. And that actually came from, we brought all the youth services together to look at the gaps in the town. And that's just what you said. There was one of the gaps that they identified. And as a result, there was kind of a collaborative application put in to the Community Safety Innovation Fund led by Froga, which mm. is New Choices. So that would specifically target 13 to 16 year olds that have dropped out of the school system or are at risk of. And it's an intensive alternative learning programme. And it's exactly as you just said, mm. not just the keeping occupied, but giving that young person the opportunities for a different path, potentially, and giving the supports to reintegrate into the education system or to go, you know, to get access <coughs> to training and so mm-hmm. on. So that was one of okay. the interventions that came directly from... OK, hold,
2: hold that thought for a moment, if you would. We have to take a commercial break, but we'll come back and talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the work of uh, the Drahta Implementation Board.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
2: on LMFM. Well, we're back uh, with Michael Kyo, the chair, and Gráinne Beryl, uh, the coordinator of uh, the Drahida Implementation Board. Uh, and uh, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the prevalence of drugs uh, and um, how many people are are using drugs these days. I don't think Drogheda is any different or unique in terms of drugs being popular. Young people like drugs, they like alcohol, they like whatever. Um, I I don't think either that there's any question that there's any fewer drugs. Uh, Cocaine was at the root of uh, the feud. I don't think there's any question of there being any less cocaine in in Drogheda. Uh, Somebody uh, texting in to us last week saying that it's impossible to get into a toilet in Drogheda at the weekend because young are in there taking cocaine. don't think there's anybody taking any uh, less uh, weed, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, crack cocaine I think seems to be very popular locally uh, as well. Does that matter in terms of the work that you're doing? Uh, if you can't convince people to stop taking drugs um, do we need to reimagine uh, how we deal with drugs and how drugs are, are viewed. Is that something that either of you have a thought on?
0: Well, I wouldn't pretend to be an expert in terms of that, but mm. I will say that I suppose in the context of the work that the Drug Implantation Board is doing, the investment in services like the Red Door Project is mm. so important to... You know, I don't think we can comment on mm. the general use of but drugs most, in the but, country. But most, like of
2: the, most of the people taking drugs don't need the Red Door. They're not addicts or the, if they are, they're managing with their addiction. Uh, And they're taking cocaine that is the money that goes to the drug gangs that fuels these gangs uh, and the feuds that go on between them.
0: Yeah, I will say that The Red Door is actually a harm reduction service. So Mm. we say addiction and we have a perception, I think. Mm. Um, So just as a result, just when you mentioned about cocaine, that's the reason why I'm saying this. As a result of the extra um, resources that have been put there, um, they're able to do a reduce the use programme in relation to cocaine use. Mm. I mean, it's not necessarily for myself or Michael or the boards to kind of address that general use of drugs in the country, mm. but it is to ensure that there are resources in place in Drada to, to address mm. those issues when, if and when they come up, you mm. know. So, um, but it's
2: at the root of it, isn't it? I, I mean, it's the attraction to drugs. Have either of you ever been stoned? I, I, either of you ever known somebody who's taken drugs? Either of you know anybody who's got into trouble uh, financially? or otherwise because of drugs? Uh, anybody whose children were in trouble and were warned that their house was going to be burnt down or that they were going to be raped?
0: I do know people in some of those yeah. settings, to yeah. be honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I do. Mm. Um, and again, I suppose I'm coming back to the different interventions that you can put in mm. place. Obviously, the investment on in a Garda the corner is really important and the drug division in Drada has been doing phenomenal work. They can address the, you know, that that's the, the the, I suppose, the criminality side of it, if you like, um. But other resources that are being put in place. Um. So you mentioned about drug debt intimidation there. So there's a new initiative coming to draw it as a result of the plan as well, which is the, it's called Drive. It's a dr- drug related intimidation and violence engagement, and it's around supporting the statutory bodies and community sectors to mm. understand around that and support people who are experiencing drug-related mm. intimidation so that they, um, whether it's reporting it to the guards or whatever other supports might need to be put in mm. place because that's a scary place to be and we okay. recognise that. So that drive that's being piloted in two places in Ireland and Drogheda is one of them. Mm. So we're hoping to get that up and running in this quarter as well.
2: Is the needle exchange programme in place yeah, through the Red Door?
0: They're working really hard on it at the moment. Thank God, the they, were, they were
2: given fifty thousand. How long ago? Six no, months were ago. No, they
0: weren't given fifty thousand. Well, it,
2: w- it was allocated, yes. But I mean, that's allocated mm, within mm, the HSEs. Yes, yeah. it, it's there for them. Uh,
0: What's—it's the d- not actually for the. the sorry, I just because yeah. so that fifty thousand is in relation to resourcing the HSE for delivery of a variety of things related to needle exchange. And um, did it, the in Vivian Gherin's report he spoke about the. It, it was actually aggressive outreaches, I think, what the HSE called it. So it's, it's there's a few different mm. pieces to needle exchange, and one of them is the the red door. He said to explore that, and mm. um, that's not necessarily what that fifty thousand is in relation to. The red door and the HSE are working together. There's a lot of stuff like clinical governance, different things that have to be ironed out. Big learning for us Insurance is it's more complicated. Yeah. Mm. A bus
8: to mm. Mm. transport people around. And Get the, the
0: equipment, the, all that the, type the of stuff. Hmm. of the stuff that's desired
8: yeah. and that kind of stuff. So th- that's one of the initiatives hmm. that, on paper, it looks very simple. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're finding as well. But when you delve okay. into it, actually there, it needs huge cooperation between various agencies hmm. and and it's happening. Uh, it's close to being being rolled out. Uh, we will we'll be hopeful it'll be rolled out this quarter. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so it, it's finding out what the obstacles are and then finding ways to remove those obstacles. So, mm-hmm. again, it's back to the cooperation between the ages and there's mm-hmm. been really good cooperation between the HSE and the Red yeah. Door. Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about those interracial relations? Uh, Vivian Guerin, I think, raised a, a red flag and said it, it may not be a serious problem yet, but there's a very serious problem coming down the line. So yeah. the,
0: the, the Joint Migrant Integration Forum, so and meaths councils have come together and there's actually a grouping there that they're supporting that are looking at issues like that and and again I suppose it's not our area of expertise necessarily but there are um, representatives on there whether it's Uh, Culture Connect culture, those organisations that work with people from migrant communities and actually have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the community. Um, And so I suppose not to interfere with that work. The Joint Migrant Integration Forum is a space where that that's being discussed and those issues are being looked at and and what kind of interventions can be put in place there.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay,
8: I suppose in a sense it goes back to what the board is there for. And Mm. I think uh, it's there to help and support agencies to Mm. deliver on the actions in the Mm. plan. And where there are obstacles we kind of intervene where we can and try mm. and mm. remove those. So mm. that's that's really our core function mm-hmm. is to make sure that the actions are delivered, but also to kinda of help the agencies who are involved in delivery of the plan to help them to mm. achieve that objective.
2: So and, and do you wish to hear from local people? Uh, do you intend to go into the estates where the problems are Work. most severe?
8: Absolutely. The the, the the biggest the best way of knowing if we are Achieving anything is to talk to the people of Jhapa who are, mm. who were adversely affected in the first instance. So, Grainne, do you want Mm. to outline what we're going to be doing? Yeah, so
0: this quarter, I keep saying this quarter, but Mm. actually this month, which is February next week, Mm. (laughs) um, uh, we're starting a thing called a Community Crime Impact Assessment. This was a tool that was developed by Citywide Drugs and Crisis um, Organisation down in Dublin. Again, it's what Michael was saying there about seeing what worked elsewhere and bringing it to DRADA. So that's going to be going into specific areas and it's talking to the community of that area about their experience of crime in the area Mm. um, and then we create problem solving groups within the area to look at and how can we address those issues and what can we do? Like it's what can we actually do? Mm. So there's an element of mapping, I suppose, how change has happened. Like I do talk to people who are based in, and I'm not trying to enable certain areas, but based in areas that were particularly impacted. And they are saying that things have quietened down and, you know, things mm. feel better but they're always on tenterhooks, you mm. know, that, that something might happen. So it's bringing those people together to have the opportunity to talk about what their, their experience mm. is and what issues they're seeing yeah. and, and how you're, can we you're address going, those
2: you're issues. And you're going to hear that 11 and 12-year-olds are delivering packets to fellows. Uh, yeah,
0: and that's why you know. it's important that we're supporting, mm. whether it's the schools mm. or other agencies that yeah. are working with children mm. and young people, to both... Um, to understand why young people are going that direction, mm. put interventions in place and support those children to maybe make a different decision. Mm. It is hard, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's when... You,
2: yeah, you're going to hear from mothers who'll tell you their 15 year old sits around smoking weed all day and won't do anything and won't be told otherwise. And what's she to do? Is she to go to the guards and report her son or what does she do?
8: Well, again, it's back to them mm. providing alternative pathways for these people to mm. come back into the education system or to, or to further education or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, and to actually try and convince them that it's a it's a viable alternative option other than getting into crime, and I, so the other event we're going to do, and um, we had a kind of re- a review there a couple of weeks ago about what we've done so far. Uh, we brought in all the members of the subgroups to focus and say what have we done, what have we left to do, what do we need to do, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we're going to do again this quarter is the people that spoke to Vivian Gear in the first instance. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a town hall event, and we're going to talk to them and listen and hear what they have to say to us and then see can we address it. If it's not in the plan, the plan is a kind of a, a live yeah. kind of a plan so mm. if ideas come out of that session mm. we'll incorporate them and we we'll see can we yeah. can we move on.
2: So because uh, what one of uh, the things that happened with the establishment of your board was a, a commitment from the government to look favourably on applications for funding. <coughs> uh, I'm not sure uh, what's happened really other than that commitment to prioritize those applications. Uh, well, I can,
8: I can outline how many not was. Just, I think that the, the, the really big one and was a real big early win for us was the extra teachers in industry schools. So they, uh, when the gearing report came out, they got two, they had two extra teachers each, mm. as a result of our support for the schools in their inter- interaction with the Department of Education. Mm. Those three schools got an extra six teachers on top of Mm. the six they had already, plus an administered deputy principal. If you talk to those three principals of those schools, the difference those extra resources Mm. have made. That was all down to that government commitment Mm. to uh, prioritise requests for funding. Mm. Uh, We... LMETB who host the board and provide great support to the board Mm. in terms of our work. Martin O'Brien, the CEO, is a member of the board. Uh, They went to the Department of Children and looked for uh, additional uh, resources Mm. for a youth officer post Mm. for the town of Drogheda. They managed to secure that. That's the first time that to have a youth, a youth officer dedicated to, to Drogheda yeah. and the, the difference that post is making, we, 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 that's beginning to emerge. Now. Okay. Yeah, youth services and mm. talents well a big difference. Yeah, yeah. That's news today and a very the, good uh, development. Changing yeah. facilities mm. and the tertiary education block down in the Drogheda Institute of Further Education, mm. that's a commitment again on foot of the government's commitment to prioritise mm. the apprentice block up in the No Road that's a serious investment again in further mm-hmm. education from the Department of Further Red. That's as a result mm-hmm. of the government's decision to prioritise requests for funding. So it is making a difference.
2: Okay. Um, there's four sub boards, policing and drugs, family support, children, young people and education, employment, business, enterprise, area community development, arts, culture and sport. Uh, how many young people uh, under 18 or uh, on any of these subgroups,
0: that's actually a really good question. Um, kind of um, something we've discussed. We've ourselves. been discussing that. So one of the pieces of work that I'm doing now in the next couple of weeks um, is I'm working with that draw the youth officer to bring young people in, so we're going to um, not just hear their voice, but kind of a co-design piece that the young people will figure out what way best that they could engage with the structures of the board. Because you're right, there are no young people under mm. the age of 18. Now we have been engaged and so we've been doing a lot of other pieces of work. So for example, last September we hosted an event for the culture sector and the community sector to come together and specifically targeted mm. young people whether they were in youth or other settings like that to be part of that discussion as well. So mm. they may not are be Are they sitting. the right
2: young people? I mean should you not be asking people from Rathmore and Park and Moneymore uh, who maybe have a conviction? Uh, who so yeah, we take drugs uh, who uh, can tell you why they do and what yeah. attracts them
0: So we are actually targeting those young people so we're working mm-hmm. with whether it's the youth diversion programmes in both one's based in Ballsgrove mm-hmm. one happens to be based in Bunnymore um, and we're working with them to target young people Youth Reach was another sector that we went to their young people maybe in an alternative education it's it's a second chance education setting so we are actually working very closely and we do work I certainly work really closely with youth services in the town to help target and identify those young people um, but that's not to label I mean all young people are affected in some way, or mm. shape or form in the town and so yeah, there's a piece of work happening there with myself and the a draw youth officer, <coughs> excuse me, mm. and the Children and Young People Services Committee coordinator. Okay. So we're all kind of working together. And just to mention there, um, you said about help and support, there are actually 32 organisations involved, in, directly involved in the structures of the board, mm. whether they're community organisations or so statutory bodies and 59 people. So there's a lot of commitment to work on these actions. Oh, everybody and these wants, like, yeah, yeah, yeah a huge commitment. Change, certainly,
2: as a not whole. to go back to where we were a few exactly. years ago. Yeah. yeah, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but we're, time is more or less out. Um, uh, are, do you want to hear from people? Uh, do you want to well, we hear do, ideas, yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Well, mm. we, yes,
8: uh, we, we have a website called so people can see the members of the board, the members of the subgroups, the organisations they represent. Uh, we have all our press. Re- all the initiatives are there. Yes, we want to hear from them. We, they can be contacted.
0: Implementation board at lmatv.ie. Or they
8: can contact. Grania directly, and as, as I say, we'll be going out to communities to, to hear
2: what they have to Great. say. I'm, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, we obviously wish you uh, success with uh, this ongoing work, which is so important to everybody. Thanks for coming in to us. Uh, hope to see you again real soon. Great. Thank, Thank you very much. much. To hear. more Thanks from board. Thank you uh, Thank indeed you to both of you. Uh, that's uh, Michael Coe, the independent chair, and Grania Beryl, who is uh, the coordinator of uh, the DRAHD implementation board.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
2: on LMFM on Now as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual there's a number of incidents Garda you're investigating locally and uh, perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Adele Dugdale of Trim Garda Station joins us for this week's report and uh, thank you for doing so. We're going to begin in Drogheda with a robbery that occurred in the town.
7: Yeah, good morning, Michael. So on Friday the 27th of January at 9.30pm, a robbery occurred in the premises of the Mell area of Drada. A lone male entered the store and demanded the contents of the till. male left the scene on bicycle heading towards the centre of Drada. So we're seeking the assistance of your listeners to make contact with Drada Garda Station on 041. 987-4200, Nine eight seven four two zero zero. if they have any information in relation to this incident or seen anything suspicious in the area at the time, which may assist us with our own inquiries.
2: Indeed, there's a, a number of burglaries you're appealing for information on this week, the first of those in Navin. Yes,
7: yeah, so this incident occurred on Friday the 27th of January between 8.30am and 7pm in the Black Castle estate area of Navin. The homeowners returned to find their home was disturbed Um, An engagement ring was taken during the course of this incident, which um, holds sentimental value for the owner. It's described as having a white gold band with diamonds and daisy cluster. So if anybody was in the area at the time or seen anything suspicious or if indeed is approached to buy this piece of jewellery, please contact Navangarda station on 046 9036100.
2: And the next burglary to report on was in RD.
7: Yes. Yeah, so Tuesday, the 24th of January, this time at around 1 p.m., a burglary occurred in the Tierney Street area of R D. The homeowner returned to find the home had been disturbed and a quantity of cash was taken during the course of this incident. And we're seeking the, incident, uh, the, seeking the assistance of your listeners in this case. If they were in the area and seen anything suspicious, please contact RD Garda Station on 041 685 3222.
2: A third burglary then that occurred in the Ballynamona area of Kells.
7: Yes. Yeah, so this incident occurred on Wednesday the 25th of January between 1.45pm and 6pm. Again, the homeowners, homeowners returned to find their home had been disturbed. And if any of your listeners were in the area at the time or seen anything suspicious, please make contact with Kells Garda station on 046
2: 9280820. To conclude this week, you have uh, a road traffic appeal in Drogheda.
7: Yes. Yeah, so on the 21st of July 2022, at approximately 6pm, um, a female was exiting St. Peter's Cemetery, Drada, County Loud, uh, at the Boyle O'Reilly Terrace side, which is directly opposite Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drada. As she was exiting the graveyard, she stepped out onto the footpath and a male cyclist collided with this female and knocked her over, causing her an injury. The cyclist stopped and spoke with the female and informed her that he was going to get her help and made his way over to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, where he spoke with a member of the ambulance service briefly. In the meantime, the female was picked up by a passerby and brought to the hospital before the cyclist returned. And unfortunately, this female did not ascertain this male's details, so we're just um, asking anyone with information related to this incident or for the male himself to contact uh, Droughta Garden Station on 41
2: Okay, that was last summer, was it uh, July, I think you said? What date was that?
7: July, the 21st of July 2022, we're still trying to seek the assistance of that mail to come forward.
2: Right, Uh, what time of the day was that?
7: At 6pm.
2: At 6pm, so it would have been bright and uh, possibly sunny at that time, just to jog people's mind. 21st of July at 6pm, if uh, people do remember it, certainly the cyclist will remember it, and I'm sure he spoke to a lot of people, it uh, obviously was Uh, something that uh, he would have uh, maybe mentioned to somebody if uh, that jogs a a memory uh, they could ask him to get in touch with yourselves. Anyway thank you, we leave it there for the moment and uh, we return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme with thanks to Garda Adele Dugdale of Trim Garda Station today. Now before we leave you let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning Frank is in Drogheda, Uh, he's saying there's a survey this morning that says Ireland are 10th on uh, the world list for the most corrupt countries in the world interesting finding he says but not surprising at all well (laughs) if you think that Frank uh, you might be surprised uh, and it's funny the way people hear things uh, because uh, it's not actually uh, it's uh, we're uh, in the top 10 of having the least public uh, corruption uh, in the world so it's actually a very positive story for the country but thanks uh, for that Frank Uh, Betty Daly says good morning Michael Uh, I'm listening to Aon O'Riordan of the Labour Party talking uh, about getting Ridge stopping, ending homework. Uh, he even admitted uh, that TDs don't get to do their homework. Fair play to him for being honest. We all know most ministers know nothing about anything when they're asked, says Betty Daly, uh, who is uh, not really being very considerate. Uh, we were speaking to Ibecker on uh, the programme uh, this morning about the housing crisis that's in this country. It affects everybody, they said, uh, and uh, it's affecting employers who can't uh, attract staff. Paddy Duffy says it's a sign... <laughs> (laughs) of uh, The Times... Uh, when IBEC start sounding like socialists, <laughs> thanks, uh, Paddy. Uh, I imagine IBEC will be very pleased to hear that that's the way you heard it. Uh, Tom Navin says, Michael, you just said, what about all of the empty buildings in this country, uh, and why can't we use them to house all of the refugees and uh, the eleven thousand six hundred people who are in emergency accommodation? Thank you uh, as well, Tom, for that. I I, I don't know. It's beyond belief. Uh, But apparently that uh, scheme uh, announced yesterday to repair some of uh, these vacant buildings uh, will help. It'll take some time, but uh, there really is a a crisis. There's no doubt about that. Uh, John concerned that he won't be able to top up his mobile uh, through Bank of Ireland uh, from uh, the end of March going into April. Wonders what's the point of these banks? Uh, What do they do? Uh, well they make a lot of money I think uh, but uh, apart from that I'm sure that uh, there's a, a lot of people uh, who use their services and they have many services as we all know Ellen in touch with us about Upfront, that's that new programme uh, that started on RTE last night with Katie Hannon, Uh about refugees how many of these centres uh, that are being set up are being set up in places like Ballsbridge, Kliney or host, for that matter. Uh, It seems to be it's a case of not on my doorstep, Ellen says, Uh, but uh, when people give out uh, about them, they're being told that they're racist. Uh, The government created this problem. Uh, Nothing against people fleeing war, uh, but uh, you look at some people who are sleeping on the streets. Uh, There's uh, somebody from England, she says, uh, who's sleeping rough locally. Well, thanks uh, for that, Ellen. Of course, uh, there's always been uh, freedom of movement uh, across these islands, and I'm sure there always will be, regardless of what the policies are in relation to other uh, countries. Uh, Somebody else in... Touch saying, I can't believe you didn't congratulate Garda Dugdale for helping that little baby when her mother came in to trim with the unresponsive baby. Uh, an oversight of my part. Uh, I'm glad you texted uh, to remind us all of that. Uh, herself and her colleague doing sterling work uh, there. But that's all we have time for today. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I, Michael, God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. <laughs>
1: the michael reed show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on lmfm to contact us email now michael at
2: lmfm.ie planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen